0: Good morning, morning. got a really big job today and that is to dive into this chapter Landon finished up Matthew 23 last week and it was just scheduled this way where I'm about to dive into wow one of the most probably exciting and provocative uh, portions in all the New Testament uh, Matthew 24 we're going to try to attempt to do something that's uh, something close to miraculous and that is, as you know, we've been in Matthew. Our goal is to try to finish the book of Matthew by by next year, by the end of this year. And uh, we're going to try to get through Matthew 24 in four weeks. And if you know what it's about, you could spend a week on just a couple verses. So this is a portion of Scripture that I encourage you to go in yourself in your own study time and dig in and use some references and look at different translations and a concordance, whatever else you can to look at this, because there's so much depth to it. And I don't usually get nervous or anxious before I teach, but this is one of those Sundays where it's an awesome responsibility. It's a privilege to be able to, to teach and try to expound on God's word and God willing to be led by the Holy Spirit. But this is one of those portions of Scripture where I'm going, Wow, Lord, there is so much in here. And this is Jesus' sermon. So I'm going to try to do my best to just expound on some of the basic points as we go through this first portion in Matthew 24. It's commonly known as the Olivet Discourse because Jesus gave it from the Mount of Olives. Um, Now, the, the theme here is the second coming of Christ, and it's a prophetic sermon that Jesus gave, and it's about the the end of the present age and the establishment of his kingdom. So I want to share a verse with you from John's Gospel before we dive into Matthew 24. In John's Gospel, he begins chapter 13, explaining that before the Feast of Passover, uh, Jesus knew that his hour had come. That's what John said. And that he would, quote, depart out of this world to the Father. So that's John 13, 1. Immediately before Jesus predicted his betrayal by Judas, the Apostle John, who was seated right next to the Lord at the Last Supper, records Jesus as saying this, From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, You may believe that I am he. That's John 13, 19. Jesus was about to, now in Matthew 24, Jesus was about to predict something astounding and unbelievable to the Jews at that time, to their understanding. Um, What happened immediately before? Before we dive into Matthew 24, we've got to go at the very end of the 23rd chapter, because remember, the, these, these were not written with numbers and verses and chapters, right? There were no numbers. It was just a flow of a letter or the gospels. We just number, of, number them for our convenience, for our reference. So, the, so always remember, like in real, state, real estate, it's location, location, location. Well, in scripture, it's context, context, Context. So at the end of Matthew 23, what Pastor Landon covered last week, I just want to read a couple of verses, starting in verse 37. Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how I wanted to gather your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus did not reject them until they first rejected him. He left God's house, the temple, For the last time never to return and the temple you remember he preached against those who were buying and selling calling it a marketplace you've made god's house you've made my house a den of thieves well the glory of the temple was stained by sin so and there are some parallels here with today's church and what we're going through here um Today's church has also been stained in many ways. False teachers, compromise, heresy is taught as truth. People are being deceived. All over the place, there are some things people are believing, and you kind of go, those of us who know Scripture, kind of look at them and go, first of all, how can they get that? Second, how do they continue to believe what they're believing? So it's happening. The signs of the times are ominous, and as lawlessness abounds, Evil is being called good, even within many professing churches. There's a lot of uncertainty, and society is speeding straight ahead like a locomotive toward the unknown, toward the future. Um, Mankind will soon endure intensifying violence, destruction, chaos, and judgment on a worldwide scale. That's coming, friends. It's in this book, most of it, and much of it in detail We just don't know when. But what did Jesus say so many times? Be ready. Watch. Be ready. Um, So, when? As we begin in Matthew 24, that's what the disciples wanted to know. They wanted to know when. Um, They asked these questions that we're about to read that kicked off this powerful sermon by Jesus. And the answer the Lord gives is, here in Matthew 24, is the longest answer to any question recorded in the New Testament. It's insights here that we're about to dive into. They are essential for understanding the future and discerning the present times. Okay, so open up your Bible to Matthew 24, and we are just going to attempt to get through just the first 14 verses today. Matthew 24, Jesus came out of the temple. Remember what just happened. Your house is left to you desolate, and you will no longer see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here." will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him, so some time lapsed. The disciples came to him privately, saying, tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, Many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Father in heaven, open up our hearts to your word. Help us to understand what you want us to get this morning. And Lord, teach us. Holy Spirit, you promised to guide us into all truth, and we rely on you this morning. Let it not be my words or my words, thoughts opinions or commentary let it be from your word jesus teach us what you will have us know and so that we can be prepared and so that we can be watchful and ready in jesus name amen now there are two major sections to this portion of scripture one the destruction of the temple and the fact that jesus predicted it we'll get to that in a minute it happened In 70 AD and number two the signs of the times and the end of the age or the flow of history until the return of Christ so the return of Christ that's what we're getting to here in Matthew 24 according to scholars there are 1845 references to the return of Christ in the pages of the Bible In fact, references to the second coming of the Messiah outnumber references to the first appearance of Jesus by an eight-to-one margin. Jesus' return is highlighted in 17 Old Testament books, and within the New Testament, there are 321 mentions of the second coming. And there are some churches in America that don't even touch on prophecy. They don't even go there. Now, there are different reasons for that. But I think most of us would say, I'm not sure any of those reasons are excusable if we are teaching the whole counsel of God. One third, between one, a quarter and one third of the Bible's prophecy. So it's important to get this and understand the times, you guys. In part two of this chapter, Jesus teaches about his return, quote, on the clouds. Remember in Acts chapter one, um, the first uh, eight or nine verses there, Jesus was on earth for 40 days after his resurrection, and he took uh, uh, the disciples, a lot of his followers, out, and he left, I believe it was from the Mount of Olives, and he, as he ascended into heaven, the angels, two angels, appeared to them and said, Men, why are you staring up into the sky? And then they left a clue. They said, This same Jesus, who you just saw, uh, ascending to heaven on the clouds, will return in the same way. Acts chapter 1. Now, Matthew 24, um, it kicks off with this. Jesus went out and departed. We, he, he could have just said one or the other, Matthew. He could have said Jesus, Jesus left the temple. But there are two different meanings to went out and departed. It's, it made it seem like Jesus turned his back on the temple because they had rejected him clearly. He tried. He tried. And he left the temple, like I said earlier, never to return. He would no longer contend with the contentious religious leaders and never again come to the temple in his earthly ministry. Um, it was the, now, The temple was the center of Jewish life for about a thousand years. It was even customary to swear by the temple. And not necessarily biblical, but it was customary at that, ta- that time. They, they revered the temple so much that they swore by the temple. And speaking against the temple could be considered blasphemy. Now, naturally, the disciples, as they were leaving, called attention Jesus' attention to the magnificence of it, the beauty the majesty, the, the massive buildings, and they were massive. We'll, we're going to talk about that in a second. We'll, well, let's just talk about the size of this thing. Everyone knows how, how big a football field is, right? Think of Lambo, Lambo Field. You know what 100 yards is, most football fans, all right? So this new temple, it dwarfed Solomon's temple. This temple was about 500 yards Long. I think I have it here, yeah. 500 yards long, 400 yards wide. And Herod's plan for rebuilding started in 19 B.C. Started building this massive temple. It was completed in 63, A.D. 63. It took more than 80 years to build this temple. And the interesting thing is, all that work, and I mean, I was reading some commentaries where I don't know where they got the information. Sometimes, but it said at one point Herod had about ten thousand people working on the temple. That's how big this thing. That's how big of a project it was. And the temple was finished only seven years before it was destroyed. Mm. But the second, second temple here, Herod's Temple, it wasn't just big. It, it, was, it was beautiful. It was majestic. Jewish historian Josephus said the temple was covered with gold plates. So on the outside of the stone, or in some cases wood, they would overlay it with gold on the outside. And from I believe it was from the east, uh, when the sun shone on this side of the temple, it was blinding to look at. When visitors would approach the temple in the morning, it was just such an amazing sight. They couldn't barely look if the sun was out, shining right on it, shining the gold, reflecting the gold, and it was so bright they could barely look at it. That's what this place looked at. Uh, and where, where there was no no gold, there were blocks of marble with such pure white that from a distance, visitors actually looked at it and go, "Is there snow?" On the temple? No, that was this polished white marble. So how many years? Eighty years to build this thing? So with this massive thing and some of the stones, I think I, I have some notes on it here we'll get to. Maybe not. Did I write that down? We may get to it. But I remember reading that some of the stones were between 40 and 50 feet long that's long. I I'm not really great at math or distances, but that might be from here to that wall over there, 40 to 50 feet. That's how big one of the stones was. And then 12 feet wide, 12 feet high. So you've got these 12 by 12 by 40, some say maybe even 50 feet long. And Jesus said, not one stone will be left upon another. What? But it, there, for, for all indications here in Matthew 24, the disciples, it doesn't seem like they were phased by this prophecy that Jesus just made. So they, they were looking at this, they were, just left this massive structure, this massive temple, and they said, okay, then that's where the questions come in. So can you imagine in um, the early 1800s, I don't remember what date. Does anyone remember the date of the Titanic? Was that 18 historians here? Like I said, 19. 19 what? 1912. So in 1911, at the end of 1911, when they were maybe finishing the building, they saw this massive ship in harbor, the Titanic. Can you imagine if someone said, that ship is going to sink the first time it sails? They would be laughed. uh, Headlines? Goofball predicts the sinking of the Titanic. Remember some of the men? Pride, right? They said, oh, God couldn't even sink this ship. Remember that? All right, I'll go, I'll go one, one up here, one up. 9-11, the Twin Towers. Can you imagine the year before if someone said, see? See these massive Twin Towers, New York City? the economic center of the world. See these two massive buildings with reinforced steel and these impressive structures? They're going to come down in dust and rubble next year. Can you imagine someone said that in the year 2000? Seriously. And I'm not even sure that even compares to Jesus' prediction that the temple was going to be destroyed. And one stone not left on another? I th- Okay, this is great. Temple comparison. The one on the left, it's pretty small, but that was Solomon's temple. The one on the right is the one I just described here. That was Herod's temple. See how much <laughs> Herod had to outdo Solomon, right? See how much bigger that thing was? It was massive. And now after Jesus' prediction, they didn't know when, but they, Jesus said, this is going to happen. Go to the next slide. On the left, the temple, stones, were not only dismantled and thrown down, they were just torn apart, crushed. Look at that on the right. You can see some of these buildings. Do you see the little person there? See how small they are? And the picture on the right, over in the left corner, down in the left corner, looks like there's someone standing right over there. See how big these stones are? Well, they were a lot longer and bigger, but they were... All stacked on top of that. That was the, the temple was just destroyed completely. Utter destruction. So we forget that that was a prophecy from Jesus. Pretty impressive, I think. Wow. Yeah, I'll say. So, um, in the second verse, Matthew twenty four two, Jesus said, "Do you not see all these things? When they called their his attention." to the building, the the temple. The disciples marveled at the big buildings, but Jesus, basically that line, do you not see all these things? We might understand that in our modern vocabulary as saying something like this. Take a good look at these things. They're coming down. Take a good look. Because many of the disciples probably lived to uh, AD 70, some of them, not many, um and many of the followers of jesus at least the younger ones they were they lived through that they saw the temple and can you imagine when that happened i mean everyone the jews had to scatter of course but they're going wow jesus said something about this he was right so assuredly i say to you not one stone will be left here upon another what's interesting is that uh, this was a statement of astronomical proportions and implications and yet the disciples seemed to believe him. Maybe they didn't understand because it was really a massive prediction if you think about it. So fast forward 35 to 40 years after Jesus said that as he was leaving the temple and there was a, a uprising by the Jews. There was a little rebellion against the Romans who had been impressing them. The Jews had some early successes but ultimately the Roman soldiers just crushed the rebellion and In A.D. 70, Jerusalem was leveled, and I mean leveled. It wasn't just the temple. It was uh, market and and the houses and the people slaughtered who were left, who didn't leave, Um, because Jesus said that. I think we'll either all get to that next week or Landon will get to that in a couple weeks when he said, if you're still around and you see these signs, flee, get out of Dodge, Jesus was saying, because there will be no survivors when the Romans crush Jerusalem and destroy it. So it was completely destroyed. So this was a literal fulfillment of this prophecy that Jesus said, and that sets the tone for what the disciples are about to ask, or what they asked here. Now, you have to understand them as two separate events. There were no signs. The temple was not a sign, okay? The destruction of the temple was not a sign. It was a judgment against the Jews for rejecting Jesus. Now, one takeaway from that before we get into um, the disciples' questions. Um, Mega buildings, huge temples, houses of prayer. Think about massive coliseums that hold Christian events today. Um, If they are not done in spirit and in truth, they are of no value to God. If there's not true worship, if they are not glorifying him, if they are not handling the word of God accurately, so, remember, Solomon's temple, the one you saw earlier on the left, Solomon's temple was destroyed in the context of national judgment and exile. So, so was the temple that we just saw, Herod's temple in, in uh, 70 AD. So we think in America we're going to be spared? Well, so Jesus' prophecy brings up, oh, wait a minute, let me read um, Luke 19. Do I have that, Jedediah? Luke 19. There we go. Yeah, let me read that. Jump, jump over here real quick. Here we go. Um, 41 through 44. Just to drive this point home, and then we're, we're, we're going on with what the disciples asked Jesus. When he approached Jerusalem, this is earlier now, he saw the city and wept o- over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And that's what Titus did. The Roman general around the whole city of Jerusalem, they threw up barricades and they burned as much of the city as they could. They will hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you, Jerusalem. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And in Luke's uh, version of this, The next thing Jesus goes into the temple and cleanses it there were two temple cleansings when Jesus said uh, My house will be called a house of prayer. You've made it a robbers den. So they were warned and Jesus also explained what was going to happen and why The judgment was going to happen. So Matthew 24 3 back in Matthew 24 and um, He sat on the Mount of Olives so It was such an appropriate time at the end of Jesus' ministry uh, for this discourse. The religious leaders rejected Jesus and would soon deliver him over to the Romans for crucifixion. Um, He knew the the bitter fate that awaited Jerusalem. We just read a little bit more about that in Luke 19. Uh, He wanted to warn as well as give hope and confidence, though, to his followers, especially to his disciples, who would soon be greatly tested. Um, so he sat on the Mount of Olives, and he, they could see, obviously, through the Kidron Valley, they could see the temple, they could see Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. That's where this setting was when they asked him this question, removed from the temple, but in its view. The disciples came to him. remember after he said it's going to be torn down, not one stone on another, the disciples said, "Tell us when. Tell us, when will these things be? and what?" And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? A lot of things to point out here just in their questions. Notice I've checked four Bible translations so far on this. Every one of them says, what will be the sign, singular, not signs. What will be the sign? They were thinking, all right, well, next Tuesday or in a couple of days, Jesus, what will be the sign in a few days? They were expecting it to happen like then, now, boom. The Messiah is here. He's going to take over, and it's going to be what they've always heard it was going to be from the Old Testament, always what the Messiah would bring. The government will be on his shoulders, right, Isaiah 9. Um, but that's, they didn't have the timing right. They had an idea of what was going to happen, but they didn't understand the time frame here. So they said sign. And Jesus is about to unload with signs and signs and signs and disturbing and overwhelming and eye-opening signs to them going, all this? But we thought you were going to take over right now. Remember also in the beginning of the book of Acts, the disciples said, so Jesus, aren't you at this time going to take Take over and establish your kingdom. They said, Aren't you at this time, before he ascended to heaven? So, there, in their understanding, understand how they were looking at it. Um, in their minds, the destruction of the temple and the end of the age were probably connected. So, when Jesus said, Not one stone will be left on another. Um, they probably were hearing, because they knew. They, I know they were fishermen, but everybody hears what the rabbis were teaching, what most Jews believed, that the, the temple would be destroyed. They didn't understand that, but what Jesus said, they thought, okay, that must be a sign of the end times. That must be the end then. But no, these are separate. These are separate. So understand that from their perspective, these are separate events. So um, they thought it would happen simultaneously. Note that Jesus' answer was direct, directed mainly to correct them in their understanding that everything was going to happen at once. So a lot of Jesus' answers said, No, 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 no. See to it that no one misleads you, first off. Um, the first thing he said, Watch. Wolf, run. <laughs> False teachers, deception. First thing he said, See to it that no one misleads you. Second thing he said, many will come in my name. Did he say what or when? When will the signs be or what? No, he didn't say that yet. First thing he said was, look out. And many, we've been told from from scripture, many sincere people will be deceived by false teachers. And don't we see that in America and in the world today? False teachers, false religions, cults, Many will be deceived. Many will come in my name. But they're really not in Jesus' name, are they? Um, A lot of commentaries warn that those who seduce believers are more dangerous enemies of the church than those who persecute us. I'll say that again. A lot of commentaries I've read say the idea that those who seduce or deceive believers are more dangerous than those who persecute us. We'll get to that in a minute. He mentions false prophets, teachers, three times in this discourse. So the conditions here, uh, depicted in Matthew, let's just go from uh, 24 verses four through eight, the conditions have been constant since Jesus ascended to heaven and they will intensify as we get closer. Two things, two words when you're talking about, we'll get to this too, the frequency, and the intensity of the birth pangs. So um, it reminds us how badly this poor world groans. All creation groans as it awaits the return of Christ. It's just, this is not the way it was supposed to be. It's just a reminder for us, right? And praise God, this world is not our home and our citizenship is in heaven. Jesus immediately went on to explain some of the signs, plural, when the disciples said, what's the sign? (laughs) Wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, pestilences, false teachers, persecution of Christians, and we're seeing all of these things today. They will increase. Yeah, this is good, uh, the three signs of persecution. Um. So nations fighting against nations, that's from the beginning of time, right? That's been going on. He described them as the beginning of birth pangs. Now, I've never been pregnant, um, but I know uh, a lot of you women have, and you know what birth pangs are. And so these warnings are intended to wake believers up because all of these signs could be maybe looked at as a collective sign, all of these signs that Jesus is describing, as merely the beginning of the end, the beginning of birth pangs. Um, So from the perspective and understanding of the disciples, uh, Old Testament scriptures, many believed there would come a time of tribulation and trouble, and it would lead to the announcement of the Messiah's arrival, and when the Messiah came, the nations of the earth would gather to fight against him, and he would devastate and destroy them, and then he would purify the city of Jerusalem, gather together gather the Jews from all over the earth, and establish his eternal kingdom. That's what they thought was going to happen sooner rather than later, and maybe even immediately. That's what they thought when they heard Jesus um, talking about this so the disciples likely knew of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 that there would be a period of 490 years that's 70 weeks of years from the rebuilding of Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity until the time of Messiah and they may well have known the fulfillment was near and maybe they expected the close of the age at any moment at any time so from their thinking Understand then that they they had been under tribulation, Roman oppression. Understand, from their thinking, under the Persians, under the Greeks, and now during Jesus' time, under the Romans, right? Roman occupation. They looked at the Roman oppression as a time of tribulation and difficulty, and it was. So here comes Jesus now saying the temple will be destroyed. No wonder they had questions. And so Jesus warned the disciples that many would be deceived as they anticipated his return. One example, by the way, we can look at in our modern times, one example, 1846 um, I mean many, there have been many predictions on the return of Christ (laughs) don't ever believe one because no one knows but 1846 there was a false prophet named William Miller I don't know if you're familiar with with that history Um, he predicted the return of Christ when it didn't happen There was just huge disappointment and a falling away of of people, of believers, sincere believers that had hoped and hoped and hoped. In 1846, that's it. It didn't happen. 1847 came along, and they went, oh, maybe this thing isn't true. Do not be deceived. False prophets will mislead many. By the way, that was the falling away of the faith. One thing that resulted from that is the the uh, creation of Seventh-day Adventism that came out of that false prophet, uh, William Miller. So, verse 6, See to it that you are not troubled, he said, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Where there is fixed, uh, where the heart is fixed, trusting God, and that's what we are to be in these times, right? It is kept in peace when the heart is fixed, trusting God. Um, Isaiah 26 3 says he will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on him is focused on him stayed on thee he will keep in perfect peace wow that's a pretty amazing promise so nations and kingdoms they've been at war for 19 centuries check famines check Pestilences? Check. Earthquakes? Check. (laughs) All these are just the beginning of birth pangs. Collectively, these are a sign, and they will become more frequent and intense. Those two words, as whenever you hear the, the talk of the end times, the signs of the times, the end of the age, frequency and intensity. So remember the World Wars, World War I and II, World War II? the worst mankind has ever known. The beginning of birth pangs, right? I mean, world wars. Um, So persecution, Jesus mentions that as well. The disciples were warned many, many, many times, not just in this discourse, but many times. He said, uh, they will hate you because of me. And in another place, it's said that the killing of Christians will be looked at as a service to God. And that's what the Apostle Paul did, right? Saul. Saul of Tarsus okayed the killing of, of Christians and the, the jailing or the arresting of Christians. He thought he was serving God until he was hit by Jesus on the Damascus Road. Um, not hit, you know, you know what I mean, the vision. Knocked off his high horse. So many believers have departed the faith. We've seen that even one prominent Christian author this past week or two, I think. don't Joshua, somebody I don't remember his name, he wrote a book Kiss Dating Goodbye or something like that a couple 10-15 years ago he divorced his wife left the faith um, don't ever put your faith and hope and trust in man in, a, in an author in your pastor Landon myself in a, a religious leader in America nobody our, our hope and faith are in Christ alone men will fall men will fail men will sin right and let it not shake our faith in Jesus' name. Christians being seduced by doctrines of demons. This is a wake up call to the rem- remnant, friends, the remnant. Uh, in verses 9 through 14, um, Jesus describes what his disciples must expect during the time between his ascension and his second coming. Now, to clarify the events separating these, the return of the Son of Man always refers to this event and never to the rapture the rapture happens first okay some suggest that if we're looking at Matthew 24 here some theologians suggest that the rapture happens between verses 8 and 9 so verse 8 after famines and earthquakes all these things are merely merely the beginning of birth pangs some believe the rapture be happening right then and then verse 9 then they will deliver you to the tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. I'm not so sure about that because that that would mean because of my name, that would mean Christians would have to be here on earth in verse nine. And how could they be here and not raptured? So it's another question for another time. Um, so verse 9 and 10, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. Many will be hated, you will be hated. By all nations, for my name's sake, many will be offended. Oh, my goodness. How quickly are we offended today? This society, man, you can't even sneeze without someone being offended. You know? I mean, 20 years ago, you could say, yes, I'm a Christian. I believe in God and his son, Jesus Christ. I believe the Christmas true historical event, the birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah in Bethlehem, and the true historical event that we know as Easter, where Jesus was crucified, he died, he was buried, he was resurrected on the third day, and now he lives at the right hand of the Father. We used to be able to say that without being called hater, intolerant, bigot, right? I'm offended. Well, I'm offended that you're offended at that. (laughs) You know, (laughs) they're so offended, easily offended. But yeah, this, it's, it's spelled out kind of right here. Oh, my goodness. Um, take offense. Take offense. So I want to share a quote from Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, True disciples of Jesus should expect, it's unfortunate, but think about what Jesus did for us and what we celebrated during communion today. And in that light, what Jesus sacrificed for us is anything too hard in this life when it's like this, this long in terms of eternity on the great line in God's view of everything, and that world view. Um, betrayed, hated, persecuted. But here's the thing, and we can see this coming. Some of the worst betrayal and persecution is often from apostates, those who have left the church. Now there's a big old debate, and I think you probably know what side I'm on, whether they were even saved and truly converted to begin with. If they walk away, a, a departure of the faith, that's apostate, means that they left the faith, turned their back on, on Jesus, They're, they departed the faith, that's apostasy, the departure from the faith. Wow. Were they really saved? I don't know. Only God knows their heart. But I'm convinced that many were not discipled. If you go to a church service or a seminar or a coliseum or a, what do they call them, crusade, every, every, every eye closed, every head bowed, raise your hand and say, I don't see that in scripture anywhere. And so you're saved just, just like that? Now, I think the decision has to be made. You have to understand, repentance needs to take place because we have offended a holy God. We have sinned against a holy God. There must be repentance, and repentance means to turn. And then there's the process of sanctification, which we're in right now, trying to live separate spiritually from the world, come out from among them, be separate, that process of pursuing holiness, sanctification without which no one will see the Lord, I think Peter says, so we're in that process of sanctification right now. But a lot of these little quick prayers, bow your head, you close your eyes, and raise your hand, sometimes it's in the emotion of the moment. Sometimes people do that just because they got goosebumps during worship. And it moved them emotionally. Oh, okay, maybe I'm supposed to do something here. Yeah, I'll, uh, okay, I'm sa- saved. So that's for another time. Spurgeon. I did say that, right? Spurgeon. I got a quote from Spurgeon. He said persecution would reveal the traitors within the church as well as the enemies without. So the enemies outside the church, but persecution will reveal the traitors inside the church. And what do we hear Jesus warn about here? Betrayal. Hopefully, in Jesus' name, God willing, there's no one in this fellowship that will be in that place of, you know what, I'm walking away, and I'm going to betray you. You know what I mean? if and when that time comes. Um, Believers will be severely tested. And here's one thing that we can see happening now. Where love was just superficial, it will become cold. One of the warnings here, verse 12, after many false prophets will mislead many, not a few, not some, the false religions, the cults, the false prophets will mislead many Get in the word, you guys. Know know the truth better than any counterfeit out there. Because many, I know I've said that about a hundred times in this message so far, but it's important. You're going, wow, really? Many believers? Many will be deceived. Verse 12, because lawlessness increases or is increased, most people's love will grow cold. And that's what we're seeing today. Just this weekend, two of the biggest shootings in, I think, American history, at least since 2007, within the last 10, 12 years, took place in, I think, Dayton, Ohio, and um, El Paso, Texas. The love of most will grow cold. Why? Because lawlessness is increasing. And Jesus said in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. Do not let your love grow cold. Do not let your heart be troubled. Jesus said, trust in God, believe in God, believe also in me. So that means we have a choice. We have a choice to allow our hearts to be troubled, don't we? If otherwise Jesus wasn't truthful in saying, don't let your heart be troubled. These signs will all happen but the end is not yet. So some say sin, increased iniquity, shall abound, and that is worse than pestilence. Others say the love of many shall wax cold, and that is worse than persecution. Um, You know, when persecution happened to the early church, what happened? The gospel spread. We'll get to that in a minute. Regarding the offense of the cross, Matthew-Henry commentary lists three effects of persecution told by Jesus. Thank you for having those up there, Jedediah. The apostasy of some, that's one effect of persecution. When the profession of Christianity begins to cost something, when our faith, because if you never tell anybody you're a Christian, if there's no fruit in your life, If you're not taking a stand on some of the biblical, moral, controversial issues in America today, and no one knows you're a Christian, please go to God and check your heart. Make sure that you are right with him. There's no such thing as, well, there are such things as closet Christians, but if we are supposed to be ambassadors for Christ, what does an ambassador do? We represent Jesus. We are his ambassadors in this earth. We happen to be in America. If you're, there's no such thing as a silent secret closet ambassador, to my understanding, is there? So, people might follow Jesus when it's sunny outside, but when it's cloudy and rainy and the storms come, they're gone. Let that not be any of us. So, number two, the malicious behavior of others. Another uh, effect of persecution foretold by Jesus, Um, they will betray one another. Deserters of the faith can be some of the most bitter persecutors. Number three, the declining and cooling off of most, it says. Most increase sin, decrease love. But remember, again, persecution is soft persecution here in America. Being called hateful or intolerant is not persecution, you guys. Come on. I mean, free speech, yeah, there's a double standard in this country now. We are not freely able to share our faith and talk openly about Jesus Christ and let alone have the audacity to mention sin and repentance. Oh my goodness, you hater. Well, I I didn't write the book. Look at look at the book. I didn't write it. I'm the messenger. You go to God with that one. You know, call me whatever you want. I'll take it. In this brief life that we have here, so I'm <laughs> sorry I get so passionate about this, but America in large part looks the way it does today because of the past silence of Christians and from the pulpits across the country who wanted to work on church growth and building campaigns and come on everybody see our programs let us entertain you instead of discipleship and sharing the gospel and teaching the truth the sound doctrine the whole counsel of God I think I'm preaching to the choir here so just say amen If that's the case. I I agree. Um, But remember, persecution in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says, What happened after persecution? They preached the word wherever they went, and they were scattered. Right? Verse 24, chapter 24, verse 13 and 14. But he who endures or stands firm to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Despite all the tribulation to come, including obstacles and resistance to the spread of the gospel, despite all that, The message will reach every part of the globe. God is never without a witness. Let's prove it to you right now. He's never without a witness. witness. Even if men fail, God will preach from heaven if necessary. Look at Revelation chapter 14. You don't have to turn there. I think I have it up here. Revelation 14, 6 and 7. It says, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. Having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. Revelation 14, 6 and 7. God is never without a witness. He is never without a voice. The gospel will be preached. This prophecy will come to pass that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to the nations. Note that the angel that preaches the gospel, he does so while announcing judgment. Note that. And um, one of the very last calls of grace to an apostate world. I know this is heavy this morning, you guys, but we've got to know this. We've got to be ready. And we've got to be able to encourage and comfort those whose hearts might fail because the love of most will grow cold and many will be deceived. So for those of us, God willing, who will not be deceived, and in Jesus' name, our love will not grow cold, we've got to be able to turn and comfort our brothers and sisters and encourage them. Okay? Some of us are going to be called on to do that and be ready. Be prayed up and have that word in you. Um, So for believers, life on earth in this short period of time, however many years we live, for believers, life on earth is as bad as it gets. Think about that. This life is as bad as it gets. For those who refuse Jesus as Savior and have rejected the truth, Life on earth is as good as it gets. C.S. Lewis said, Has this world been so kind to you that you should leave with regret? There are better things ahead than any we could ever leave behind. Matthew 25, 46 further described the coming judgment and the separation of sheep and goats. It says, Matthew 25, 46, it says, And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Believe it or not, now with all the warnings, with all the fulfilled prophecies, and Jesus himself fulfilled hundreds, with the truth we have from the word, with with the evidence, with the eyewitnesses, hundreds of eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ, many of whom were still alive when the New Testament books, many of the books were written Many were still alive. Read 1 Corinthians 15. Many of whom are still alive, but some had fallen asleep. With archaeological evidence, all the digs that they're doing over in the, the Holy Land, the faith of an atheist dies every time a new archaeological discovery is dug up. You know, it just confirms people, places, events in Scripture. So with all the warnings, with everything we know, there will still be people that will be caught off guard when Christ returns and our hope and prayer should be that would be nobody in the church caught off guard Matthew and Luke both mentioned the days of Noah when people were carrying on with their lives and not only living in rebellion against God But they were ignoring the judgment or the announcement of judgment. They were ignoring that the repentance The message of repentance they're living on going on as if everything was okay And then it rained <laughs> in the days of Noah The implication is that people were living like, one day at a time, nothing's wrong, let's party, like there were no God, basically. Very much like we see today. I'm gonna wrap it up in a minute. Apostasy and deception are commonplace in America and many churches. Be ready, watch. Jesus said, first thing, see to it that no one deceives you. Denominations, religious leaders, departing from the truth, compromising, Happiness is emphasized over holiness, tolerance elevated above the truth and the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, feelings over facts, emotion, and self-worship over Bible-based Christianity. In this new age of a deception, relevance is more important than repentance. We see it all around us, friends. What does that mean? Judgment is coming. To close it's been said that the test of any age is endurance so I've got some scriptures I want to share with you to close with first of all Hebrews 12 2. Jesus who for the joy set before him what endured the cross who for the joy set before him Jesus endured the cross and now is seated at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 10, 36, you can write these down. There are a couple of them are in the notes here. You, Christian brother and sister, you and I need to persevere so that when we have done the will of God, we will receive what he has promised. Praise God. James 1, um, 2 and 3, consider it all joy My brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. John states, 1 John 5, 4 and 5, for whatever, we're either whoever or whatever, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he and she who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Peter states in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. And finally, I'm going to wrap it up with Jude, the last two verses. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote and said, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his, his glory, blameless, with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time now and forever amen praise god father thank you for your word there's so much here and i know i know god we just scratched the surface but help us to study and show ourselves approved as a workman that handles the word of god accurately and help us always be ready to give people an answer when we're asked to give the reason for the hope that we have. And may we do so with gentleness and respect. May we always be ready to share the good news because it is good news. We know the signs are here. We know times will get darker. We know the signs will intensify and they will become more frequent. And God, he who endures to the end, will be saved. We thank you for your promise that we Have the ability to endure, not in our own strength, but thank God for your Holy Spirit. Through the strength that you give us, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We thank you for giving us your word of truth. We thank you, God, for every good and perfect gift. We pray that we would discern the times in which we live, Father. Give us wisdom, Lord. Boy, do we need wisdom. Please give us wisdom. Help us, God, see what you see. Help give us that biblical perspective and that worldview that we need to live in these days in America and in this world as Christians, as your representatives, as your ambassadors, not as silent witnesses or closet Christians. Father, help us never be ashamed of you because you are not ashamed of us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your truth. We thank you also for giving us just a little bit of insight and so much that has been fulfilled already, and yet there's so much to come. Help us be ready. Show us, God, each one of us, how to prepare in our own hearts individually and our families. God, may we not be deceived. In Jesus' name, may we not lose heart. May we not allow our hearts to be troubled. And may we persevere, Father, in the strength that you provide one day at a time. We thank you so much for being in our lives. And we thank you for just giving us everything you have. Try not to take it for granted, Lord, but I know we do. Um, We love you. I know we don't always show it by our actions or words. But, God, we love you. Help us to love you more and help us to never turn back. No retreat, no regrets. Onward as soldiers of Christ, in the name of Jesus, amen.